Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Nerd Presents Made in the 90s. My name is Kyle Woods. I'm here with my buddy Dylan, and we're going to talk about dangerous minds. Dylan, you have one of the more dangerous minds that I am aware of. What is this film? Uh, This film was made in 1995, stars Michelle Pfeiffer, and relatively the rest of the cast is unknown. <laughs> uh, there's definitely like uh, some supporting characters that have been in other stuff, but mainly the kids have not been in anything. And uh, she's a teacher trying to change the ways of her students, man, trying to get them to appreciate poems. <laughs> and, and the art of poetry and the value of language. I, I do want to amend one statement, which is, and we'll get to him, but uh, Rinoli Santiago, he shows up in some 90s movies. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. He's in Con Air. And Hackers. He is in Hackers. And like Courtney B. Vance is the, the principal and Robin Bartlett. Like she, they, they, those people have definitely been in some stuff. But like yeah, I- right. Most of the cast, and it's surprising because they're generally pretty good, you know? The, well, we'll get into it before we do. Anything else you've seen? What do you want to talk about? I watched Mortal Kombat. Oh, right uh, did not care for most of it. Uh, the beginning was good. Um, and then I just, I don't, I didn't care about the MMA fighter guy. Like, why would you choose a character that's not in the Mortal Kombat universe <clears throat> and make him your lead? Crazy. Is that <laughs> not a decision I would make? I haven't seen the movie yet. I have a copy of it here, but. <clears throat> it, it also, uh, I heard I heard this in a review before I saw it, and it was definitely true that it, yeah, there's blood, but they don't do like the gore factor until the KO moment, like to really show extreme blood. But like people are getting beaten left and fucking right, and there's no blood, no scratches, <laughs> there's nothing. Uh, and like, I don't know, I ham it up for me. I wanted to see some fucking blood and the, a lot of quick cut action, which I'm not the biggest fan of. Sure. Um, Famously unpopular in terms of action choreography. Generally, we want to step back and see people fight a little bit, right? Which, which they do. I'm not like trying to say they don't do that, but it just, it wasn't my cup of tea. Fair enough. Um, is it a is it PG-13? Is that maybe why there's... No, it's it's gotta be R because they straight up show some fucking gore. Like, uh, why hold back on the blood? Split out and just coming out of people. Like it went. It if it it's gotta be R and it's gotta be for strong violence and gore because those KOs are brutal and they're cool to watch. Uh, but other than that, there's nothing. There might be some fucks in there. Yeah. I wonder if they were trying to hold back from an NC-17 rating. It, it doesn't make sense that they would kind of pull punches on the blood and then go with all of the blood. Good point, especially because a lot of the gore is CGI blood. So that might have been, oh, that's a good point. They might have like screened it and they've been like, oh, this is a little too bloody. And they found a way around of, instead of getting rid of the KO brutalities, right. they take out other pieces. That's interesting. That's, a, that's definitely a thought haven't seen the movie just a thought that i had yeah and now i'm even uh, less enthusiastic to watch it <laughs> and then i watched two movies on the flight here 
one of them being Dangerous Minds. Uh, (laughs) uh, The other one was Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter. (laughs) Okay, here are my notes. Um, (laughs) Where is it? Monster Hunter. A lot of fun. Super crazy. Ron Perlman looks fucking weird. What the fuck? And what the fuck is that cat creature cooking food? I want answers to the Ron Perlman question. I do not want answers to the cat creature thing. Yeah, he's a cat creature. He's cooking. The cat creature's got to eat. Okay, man, I get it. It's so, like, uh, totally fun to watch. Really ridiculous. Kind of not happy with the ending. Like, uh, literally, I'm looking, I'm like, oh, cool, there's 10 more minutes. And they're like, gearing up they're like they're coming into your world let's fucking battle i'm like cool 10 minutes left there'll be probably like a five minute battle five minute credits it ends right there and there's like nine minutes of credits i was like fuck yeah because we got to set up monster hunter two through nine buddy i'm not even gonna happen i bet i i mean maybe it's been a weird weird year so it's hard to say but it would be a little surprising to me if they didn't get one more chance at it at least and imagine this thing you know if it had been a regular year in wide release it wouldn't be a hundred million i'm actually looking right now to see how much it did not make its money back and uh it was made for 60 made 40.78 dude i I gotta be honest which which may have greenlit sequels to movies that have done worse than that <laughs> and without the credit of a pandemic like 40 million Fair. in a pandemic year is not bad money i mean going upside down on anything is not what you're trying to do for sure we want to stay above water mm-hmm. but I, I i'm just like everything i'm sort of like give it a pass this year let's recalibrate for next year because it, it's sort of hard to really make any uh legitimate sort of uh objective calls about what it was worth and what it wasn't you know Mm -hmm. and And like tony jaw was fucking awesome great he's so much fun in this movie it's one of my favorite performances why i this one didn't seem to take itself too seriously everyone seemed like they were in on the fun yeah uh i'm glad they got rid of the whole cast like pretty quick yeah and then it's just down to mila and tony that's great love that that was great i was like oh i don't really like this ti character i don't really like the fucking the white dude um i don't like uh, like making like they were just all bland which i get it that's probably what they were supposed to be and they got rid of them real quick it also feels the that first half hour in the desert with ti and the rest of the team feels very that was the point where I wasn't sure if I was watching a Resident Evil sequel or not, where I was like, this could just be Resident <laughs> Evil 10 or whatever installment they're on now. Mm-hmm. So as soon as we dispense with all of that and we're into a different territory, I really lightened up and, and got yeah. on board. Uh, I really lightened up the moment it started. Like, obviously, I knew what I was getting myself into, but the opening of the new world and you see a fucking uh, ship sailing over sand dunes i was was like are they on ocean or is that sand what's going on is that a fucking pirate ship sailing through sand right now and then you see ron perlman and i was like what the fuck is going on (laughs) (laughs) yes 
I mean, that's one of my favorite moments in cinemas where you're just like, I don't know what's happening, but I want more of it to keep going. Yeah, uh, and the monsters look pretty cool. Like, you know, uh, the CGI looked fine, actually. It wasn't anything crazy. There were a lot of editing choices that I thought were a little odd. Like he would, she crawls out of that fucking hole uh, after being attacked by the bugs and she's sitting there kind of like just to herself and it does this wide helicopter pan and you see all the smoke coming out of the the stacks Mm -hmm. and then you cut right back to her sitting in her weird position it just didn't like there's just little things like that that I was like ooh, hmm, that didn't like fit my eye properly fair enough yeah I mean there's no no accounting for taste if if I'm trying to defend it I would say that one of the things that PTA does really well and those Resident Evil movies do really well is enforce isolation within this chaos. And that feels like that kind of decision-making where it's like, no, 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 we need to impose upon the audience how small this person is. In this yeah, movie. yeah, definitely, definitely. And then get back to their story, you know? Yeah, and uh, I'll defend his use of all of the slow motion he uses because he uses it not for a long time and it's just for certain moments that like kick you into the action and i was like that's cool you're not spending seven minutes of fucking slow motion introducing all your characters he's Zack snyder (laughs) what else you got buddy that that is it i believe i feel like i watched something else but i didn't write it down and i can't think of it at this moment okay I got a few I'll run by you. I want to return to a couple of our previous conversations and then I'll get back to uh, some newer stuff. But okay. I've been rewatching Lost, so I finally caught up with The Constant and we're past that now. My favorite episode. It's one of the better episodes of the series, maybe the best one yeah. because of the, the confidence of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'll go that far with that you. Place Desmond is solid <clears throat> like who whoever wrote that episode wrote that character perfectly and he really harnessed that character in that moment yeah yeah desmond's one of the most interesting and certainly my favorite characters on the show or like the one that i identify with most where he seems to have integrity but is also not really bought into <laughs> the bullshit of everything where he's like yeah no no i know what you're doing here i just i gotta go do this my thing right and I'm not fighting you guys. I'm not going to, you know, be Benjamin over here. But if you want to come along, that's great. If you don't, I'm just going to go on my own way. Yeah. Uh, so what uh, What season are you on now? Still still in season four. It's okay. <laughs> the show's not good, man. <laughs> you know? So it's been demoted to, like, falling asleep bedtime viewing. And, mm-hmm. like one maybe two episodes at a time on the laptop that's fair though because loss is a lot to take in to binge watch it's like not though that's the real problem i feel like it is because there's just like it it's a lot of gobbledygook like it's not the greatest of writing that's why i'm saying like you don't gotta binge watch it do a couple episodes at a time and then like because you're gonna hit episodes where you're like God damn it. This is just <laughs> shitty. And I love hearing Damon Lindelof talk about it because it that's all ABC's fault. They're like, <laughs> Damon Lindelof goes, I mean, this is maybe a four season show. And they're like, whoa, 
why would you can't why would you want to end something that has really good viewings and he's like because i don't have any more stories <laughs> yeah and it, they were like mm, i don't think so i think season two and three need to have like 25 26 episodes each and he's like holy fuck i that's insane well, <laughs> and so they literally had to just come up with some crazy backstories that weren't a part of their original plan and it really drowns out the fucking show it it, it absolutely does and that that's network television right if yes. the thing yes. is profitable we're just going to keep making them absolutely I, but i also don't have a ton of sympathy for that because you have to know that as a creator you know if you're selling the show to abc they're going to keep pumping it if you don't have an answer beyond season two or season three maybe it belongs on hbo but uh fair with that i would have loved to seen this on hbo but still like i think he said like the plan was for uh four seasons and they wanted to ended after that and when season three hit that was the writer's strike i believe oh so that ended up pushing a lot of things and changing the game for how abc was viewing shit <laughs> yeah that's it might have been season four that's the oh season four because season four only has 16 episodes right it, i think you're right i think it is the shorter one i, th I think it's right. season four then that's where the writer strike came in and, and every, oh well, we'll get to it as we go along. So the yeah, constant is a pretty good episode. It is. And I like season five a lot. I love the time jumping and the island, uh, their explanation of putting, um, or uh, not explanation, but like the editing of putting the 70s with the present and everyone kind of overlapping each other on the island at different times. That's when there's that, more like Dharma initiative stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And you start playing out the whole era of the Dharma Initiative just from different points of view. I don't, I, I'm, you've seen it. Uh, I right? have, but it's been years. But that's like when Hanzo becomes more of a character and he's like actually on the island, right? And we get to spend there. some time with him there. But it's also like, spoiler, Sawyer and Juliet and, um, uh, was it her? I can't remember, a few others become a part of the Dharma Initiative in the 70s. Oh, yeah. See, so <laughs> there's, drawing back to one of your earlier points and to address this thing in the immediate term, there's a whole bunch of stuff, especially later through the series where I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember very well. And it, ah. it is because as it becomes more nonsensical, but I also haven't just watched it as much. And my, my wife, well, every so often, like, oh, I fell asleep last episode. What happened here? Or how did we get here? And I was like, it, it doesn't matter. I, I could tell you, but it, it's meaningless, <laughs> you know? Just. You can read it on Wikipedia if you really want to. But don't, because there's no information to be gleaned there. It just, they're yelling at each other because they're on an island. That's all you need to know. Fair. Uh, and then I also, okay. No, no, go ahead. Oh, uh, I was just going to say that I really like. Once they introduce uh, Jacob and the man in black, uh, man in black is Titus Welliver, and he is so good in it. Right. Titus Welliver is a, a 
borderline legend. He's a real good actor, man. Mm-hmm. And then I'll throw out one more episode in season six that is, uh, it's about the beginning of the island and Allison Janning is fucking in it and it, she is so good <laughs> okay well anything she's in yeah i see i've so much of this stuff is lo- it lost on me. <laughs> you see what i did there all right so um i also finished out the elaine may directorial oeuvre so um i watched mikey and nikki mm-hmm. i loved it man that's a that's her second best movie for me. It could be her best, but I really do like A New Leaf. A New Leaf is great. I think Mikey and Nikki is like A New Leaf it's is very very good, very entertaining, very funny. But I'm not seeing anything particularly novel or interesting, or you know what I mean. It just it, it feels like a very good version of the thing that it is. Mm-hmm. And Mikey and Nikki watching it the whole time, I was like. Oh, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. This, or at that's least fair. this is fair. Go ahead. No, that I was just saying that's totally fair because I really do love Mikey and Nikki, and that can easily be her best film. Is easily her best film for me. It is. Yeah, I really responded to it. I was I was pretty impressed with it. And, um, I, I've been listening to the Blank Check podcast, obviously going along with it, and was flabbergasted to learn that she shot a million and a half feet of film for Mikey and Nikki. Yeah, imagine what you didn't see. (laughs) I would prefer not to, you know, I I take the the track that like most director's cuts are bad because filmmaking is a collaborative effort and we're really here to entertain. And if you're diving too deep into your own stuff, who's, this is uh, the now known to be monstrous Chris Hardwick, has really good advice about stand-up comedy, which is if your joke makes you laugh really hard, you might wanna cut it because it's so personal and so inside that other people aren't gonna be able to access the joke. Mm -hmm. And I think there's probably a lot of that with Mikey and Nikki and a combination of the the director's cut and the way that she shoots and the way that Cassavetes shoots and they're just trying to like find the thing, you know, and I'm, a little more like, well, then rehearse it. Why are you shooting this? Just do rehearsals. I, I get it. Yeah. We'll get to Ishtar in one second. I just want to throw out the scene in Mikey and Nikki when uh, Peter Falk is ordering the coffee. <laughs> the, the cream. The cream, yeah. Okay, give me, give me eight cups of coffee. And uh, can I, you know what? Scratch that. I don't want the coffee. Can I get... Uh, can I just get eight cups of creamer? <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. And like that, that sort of seething, boiling, I don't know how to handle this. I have to save my friend right now works thematically, but I also do feel like it's a bit of an artifact of the camera's still rolling and I have to do something to escalate this tension right now. So even though the plot of this moment has resolved, she hasn't said cut yet. So I gotta, I don't know, slap the guy or whatever. And there's a lot of that stuff in the movie, which I, I like, I do. I mean, that feels like it could have been written though. Maybe, maybe it was. It, it's yeah. hard to say what anything is written in a million and a half feet of film. That's bonk nanas, you know? Yeah. Okay, so you watched Ishtar. And I thought it was like, you know, pretty good. Right? 
It did not deserve all that hate it has. No, but it's similarly, uh, I, I take a bit of a minority opinion where, okay, she's coming off of an experience where she shot a million and a half feet of film for a movie that's not terribly accessible to most audiences mm -hmm. and then moves into Ishtar where they're spending ungodly amounts of money and then just again shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting in the desert and then i i, I on I, paper I it doesn't sound very good <laughs> it's fine and that's the that's the bottom line is that like the entire product at whole is like three and a half stars you know best case four it's like pretty good Mm -hmm. It has a lot of funny moments. It is a little clunky in the middle. Actually, the whole thing's kind of clunky, but the beginning of it works in its editing of her telling the story of these two guys and how they met jumping back and forth in their timeline and then getting you to the present and then going uh, overseas. <clears throat> but like the middle of the movie, like Dustin Hoffman's whole love story with that girl, uh, yeah, it's like, it, it's, it, that part's like a little clunky, but I love the shootout in the fucking desert with the helicopter. And the camel. And the camel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that stuff's all really, really funny. The, it, it gets very plotty for about 20 minutes. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's a little bit of a mess for sure, but you know, it's enjoyable. It's a fine mm. watch. And I like watching Beatty and Hoffman in the beginning write those terrible songs, but them like really enjoying it and liking it. Yeah. <laughs> and, like being so positive to each other about <laughs> their lack of talent, you know. Oh, that's good. That's good. Wait, what was that one again? That's, that's wait, what is it? You can't be in a band if you play an accordion. Is that what? Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's something like that. It's either an accordion or like a harpsichord or yeah, some you know ridiculous <laughs> instrument. <laughs> I, I, the uh, boo, woo, I don't like Warren Beatty. Yes, I know and this. So I I'm simultaneously like, oh, it's fun to watch him play the doofy, talentless hack that he is. But then I still have to watch Warren Beatty for a long time. Mm -hmm. eh. Fair. Okay, let's talk about some more modern stuff. I watched Without Remorse. Which one's that? It's the new Tom Clancy uh, with Michael oh, yes. at the helm. Yes, yes, yes. It's solid. It's, yeah. you know, again, three stars, maybe three and a half, just like really solid Tom Clancy stuff. Mm-hmm. Michael B. Jordan's good. I am all in for Michael B. Jordan as action hero of the 21st century. He's oh, like a new Will Smith in a way. Better than Will Smith. Better. Because you believe him. Yeah, that's true. He actually does have really good acting chops. But Will Smith kind of does too. Like Will Smith can act those, like super melodramatic movies. Um, I think Will Smith can do both of those things. But what Smith relies on more than anything is his charm. And that's, and that's good. That's not a, a, a detraction, you know, that's, I like watching charming people do fun stuff. Michael B. Jordan has chops, you know what I mean? Is really can convey a wide range of emotion and play 
two different things at once. And not that Will Smith can't, but that if I had to say who's the better actor, it's Michael B. Jordan kind of hands down. Um, and he's also a little more like, it might be the 21st century thing where, I mean, Michael B. Jordan is a, a, a man, you know what I mean? That dude is buffed out and they really make good use of his physique in this movie. Um, and as just kind of like a spy thriller, it reminds me of the, um, there's a quote from, I think it's Kurosawa, who says something like, a good movie is interesting and easy to follow. And so many spy thrillers think they're being clever when they're just being obtuse. And this is not, it's very straightforward. Like, okay, yeah, that high stakes international espionage, but not cloaked in 10 levels of misunderstanding. It's just like, no, we gotta go do the thing. Now this is the mission. Oh, that shit got fucked up. Now this is the mission. It's solid, man. I really dug it. <laughs> just gotta say though, it has the second worst or tied for the worst title of any movie that I've enjoyed this year. <laughs> without remorse. Without remorse. I kept having to ask, like, what oh God, what was that fucking movie called? What was the uh, they didn't like it? Yeah, it doesn't really sound like a Tom Clancy title either. No, and so it's being billed as like Tom Clancy's without remorse. I think so that you can remember that it is A, a Tom Clancy movie, and B, maybe more importantly, a movie. Because without remorse, it's just like, what was the name of that fucking thing? I don't... And it sounds like a song. (laughs) Bad song. Yeah, it's a bad title, but the movie's okay. So then I went down a hill of trying to watch some spy thrillers. Mm -hmm. And so I watched Mile 22. I've heard of that. I've never seen it. Thumbs down. It's one of the Mark Wahlberg, Peter Berg collabs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, uh, speaking of, sorry, not Tony Jaa, the gentleman's name is Iso uh, from The Raid, you know, in The Raid 2. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I don't know his name, but yes, I do know who you're talking about. I want to say it out loud just to give the, uh, Iko Usawas. Uwes. Oh, my goodness. His name is Iko Uwes. Uh, and he's really awesome in the movie. He's the reason to watch the movie. Okay. John Malkovich has a bad wig. There's is, a lot is of Post Malone in it. No, that's the um, oh, it's got another terrible title like Shaky Baker or <laughs> uh, whatever the name of that movie was. Okay, no, well, <laughs> yeah, um, this one's similarly bad though. Watch it if you're really into some martial arts. Because again, Iko Uwais is like killing it up in there. And everything else about the movie is dumb, dumb, dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so just to round it out, I put on the Italian Job remake. Uh-huh. I enjoy that one. That's fine. Like there's, there's really good stuff in it. The problem is, is that the middle hour is fucking boring. Oh yeah, it's been a minute, so I couldn't really comment on it. But last time I watched it, I remember enjoying it, and I loved the the chase at the end, the Mini yeah. Cooper chase through the Hollywood and Highland yeah. subway station. Yeah, yeah, I was F. thinking F. Gary Gray made that right. One more time, F. Gary Gray made that one. Yes, dude. I actually think we're gonna go into an F. Gary Gray miniseries over on filmography because he's sort of like a. Um, similar to 
like Jan de Bont or Wolfgang Peterson, you know, he, he makes just very watchable, entertaining movies, but he has also okay. made incredible films. Yes, absolutely. I was just about to say that. Like Friday is one of the best comedies ever made. Friday. Uh, he also made some of the most iconic music videos from the 90s. Uh, I remember as a kid, I liked A Man Apart. Do you remember that one? Yeah, the Denzel one? No, Vin Diesel. Oh. And Lorenz Tate. Like, someone murders Vin Diesel's wife, and he goes after them. He's like a former cop. And, like, I'm sure it's not that good. And I have not seen it in many years. But I've been curious to re-watch it lately. I, I mean... I'm pitching, I'm pitching F. Gary Gray real hard. Democracy. Do it. <laughs> um, and then the last one I'll talk about was, oh, uh, The Negotiator. Ooh, I, F. Gary Gray, baby. Buddy, I'm telling you. Yeah, that's a good one. It's good. Yeah, that it's one's good. entertaining as fuck. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, you know what the uh, the masterstroke of the negotiator is. Now I got to look up this gentleman's name. Also, um, he's the heavy in every movie he's ever in, except for this one. Hmm. It is David Morse. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's not a bad guy in this movie, but the whole time you're just like. I know you're going to turn code on me, David Morris. I know it's coming. Let's watch out for the reveal. And then when the reveal comes, he's like, nah, fuck those bad guys. <laughs> solid, solid casting. It, it, you know, it's an, <laughs> I liked it. It's entertaining as hell. Definitely. That's what I've been watching lately. Should we talk about the Mines Dangerous? Yeah, man. First off. I don't know if this movie should have been called Dangerous Minds. I mean, they're all very smart kids and several of them are very dangerous. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> Damn it. All right. Uh, but uh, this poster is so iconic from my childhood. I just remember seeing it everywhere. Yeah. I don't know why. Like at Blockbuster, I guess it was more Blockbuster than movie theater, but... Man, I fucking, I remember renting this a lot. This was probably my first introduction to like the teacher trying to help out her bad students. Uh, <clears throat> and I loved it as a kid and definitely I still enjoy it, but man, does it have a lot of problems. Yeah, I think the biggest problem is that this is for some reason a Simpson-Bruckheimer joint. So weird. <laughs> Very bizarre choice. You, you get the sense that this was like hot script, you know what I mean? And it's it's based on a, a, a book called, was it like My Posse Don't Do Homework? Yep, that's exactly um, what it's called. An I, autobiography. I, what's that? It's an autobiography too. So it's I'm based sure on it is. And I, I got to imagine it was hot business, you know, like everybody wanted to crack at this thing. Because like you said, it's the, it's the teacher in the inner city school motif. So it, it stands in the tradition of like stand and deliver and to serve with love and lean on me lean, lean on me that was the i was i knew i had one that i wasn't coming up with um, <laughs> but if it's edward james almost i am there for it hell yeah uh, so it it does stand to reason that simpson and bruckheimer would be like oh yeah no these movies make money 
we're going to make one of them. Totally. It, but, <clears throat> but even at this time, like this is not something that they're doing. They are making high budget action movies. Like this is Con Air. This is yeah. almost the same year as Con Air. Do you think it was, a, it, it feels like an Oscar play for them where they're Actually, like- Actually, wait, this is the same year as The Rock, right? It's the 95. Rock might have been 96. Yeah, I think The Rock is 96 and Con Air is 97. Okay, that sounds right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, props on them for doing something different. And I'm sure this made a buttload of money. Oh, it was huge. Oh, huge. Made for 23 million, made 179.5 million. Whoa, that's a, that's a big chunk of change good for them yeah hey it it's watchable it, it is very totally my big critique is <clears throat> the score that comes in at the most inopportune moments because they're trying to heighten this the the stakes of what these kids are saying but like it works just with what they're saying like when uh uh emilio like finally, you know, gives in to uh, Luann and he's, uh, what, what, is, what are they talking about in that scene? Is it, it's a different, it's not Tambourine Man, it's a different Dylan, uh, different Bob Dylan lyrics and he's breaking it down and all of a sudden this crazy orchestral score comes in and overplays the whole scene and takes me right out of it. Yeah, and the score is much worse than the soundtrack, which the soundtrack is great. Awesome. So it stuck a little more with the contemporary stuff and kept us in the world. I, I would have preferred that. I think you get more resonance out of that, you know? Completely agree. Yeah, I agree. This, this, the score is overpowering and kind of out of place for sure. Uh. This was a, it, they turned it into a TV show as well. That feels vaguely familiar, yeah. yeah it was in 96 to 97, so it didn't last very long. <laughs> 17 episodes. I mean, they almost got a season out of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find, there we I go, yeah. This album went platinum three times. Buddy. That, yeah. Prince's Paradise is my go-to karaoke song. Yep. I fucking blasted it on the way to the airport to get me in the mood for watching the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now that's, again, the sound, that's my most positive note for the movie is that the soundtrack is legitimately great. Michelle Pfeiffer is excellent also. She always turns in great performances, but I've, I've never been a huge fan the way that I think of people a few years older than us are. Um, or certainly my parents' generation who were like, no, she's the movie star of all movie stars. I'm like, yeah, no, she's she's good. And she's really good here. Courtney B. Vance is great as like snooty, doesn't get it principle, which is actually really interesting casting in a sort of upside down performance, right? <laughs> uh, definitely. Uh, one of the, the moments that I... I, I wondered if it was cut or if it was even written, but when the three kids win the contest and he, they, she's going to take them to the nice restaurant mm -hmm. uh, and she tells Callie that she'll bring her, her meal to work. Right. And when she arrives, 
uh, Raul says uh, that um, Durrell can't make it because he has to work as well. And they don't bring Durrell a meal. They bring Callie a meal, what about Durrell? They just completely forget about him. <laughs> I mean, maybe they were intimidated by John Neville as the waiter for some reason. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, who is this guy? I know this guy. It's John Neville. He's John a legend. Neville. He's in uh, the part of the world that I occupy currently. You're supposed to call him Sir. Sir Neville. <laughs> He's got an OBE. I maybe most fond of him from his work in the fifth element. But he's got a handful right around this time of high-class characters. High status is what I should say. What's that? Where is Luann from? Because Michelle Pfeiffer's accent was so thick at moments. I'm like, whoa, what is this Southern accent? It feels like a Mississippi, Alabama. Does she say something about Alabama at one point? I don't know. I'm reading now about the real woman who was born in Youngsville, Pennsylvania, and um, enrolled at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. So yeah, it looks like she grew up around Pennsylvania, which I guess they do have like a kind of backwoodsy thing, but this definitely sounded like an Alabama, Georgia type of Southern accent. She's definitely pushing it. Yeah. So I mean, if she's going for a Pennsylvania accent, no. I had a family that went to Purdue and Notre Dame and, you know, Miami of Ohio. So that region of the country is one that I'm pretty well familiar with. The, uh, the, damn it, the, uh, the Dutch Amish? No, what is the word that I'm looking for? Anyways, there's a subset of culture that exists within that that has an iconic accent, but she's not doing Pennsylvania Dutch is the word that I'm looking for Pennsylvania Dutch I have heard that a way to refer to Amish people but also the German population through the upper Midwest Hmm. she's definitely not doing that at all (laughs) no she is not um but I don't need that you know if she's just going to make a choice and stick with it good on her that's fine and she does stick with it yeah no the accent's good it just is not that um uh my favorite so some of my favorite cheesy lines of dialogue is when um emilio's girlfriend is telling uh michelle pfeiffer that he's got a gun mm-hmm. and uh she then starts explaining everything and she's like there's a crackhead named shorty that wants to kill emilio and i was like what the fuck there's a crackhead why does this crackhead want to kill emilio which they don't get into just like something went wrong and then later on you find out this crackhead is a high school kid she says that at one point she's like he's just some fucking dumb crackhead kid that uh uh i I can't remember exactly what she says i'm like what the fuck i think emilio could take this crackhead named shorty and then he dies (laughs) here's what i'll say um two things which are the whole script is just screaming whitewash and not truly understanding the issues that it's trying to explore. I have had more than one run-in with a crackhead named Lefty. So a crackhead named Shorty is not too much of a stretch for me. Oh, no, I I believe the name. That's not what I've got. I just, I love that bit that it's a crackhead named Shorty. And you find out that he's later a kid as well. 
Here's like it, in my head, it sounds like it would be like an adult that wants to kill this kid, but it's just another crack, kid. presumably. Yeah, over some crack. The the one thing that it not the one thing, but one of the things that it brings to mind is this. I, I worked at a. Um, uh, I'm trying to decide how much of myself to disclose out loud right now, but mm -hmm. the um, the murder of George Floyd happened on 38th in Chicago. And I worked at the gas station on 38th in Chicago. And the, it, it's not a great neighborhood, you know? Mm -hmm. There's a reason that it's very heavily policed, unfortunately. Um, and that has largely to do with the police state in America. But there, this, a crackhead came into the shop one time and stole a bag of chips and this guy who had been transferred in from the suburbs as the manager of the gas station, who's going to turn it all around. And we're all like, yeah, okay, see how long you last, buddy, type of attitude towards him, sees a crackhead, steal a bag of chips, and then goes and runs this guy down <laughs> on the street. And we're all, me and my coworker, this woman, Devin, we're like, no, don't, Josh, don't do that. <laughs> and he's like already gone. And then Josh comes back white as a ghost and he's like that dude pulled a knife on me he tried to stab me and we're like yeah bro you're lucky you didn't die that is a crackhead trying to feed himself he will kill you for a bag of chips do you not understand the situation that you're living in right now and uh, that was the time that he learned what year was this that was 2004 ish maybe 2005 well so you were just graduating about to graduate yeah i had graduated from high school I graduated high school in uh 2003 gotcha and then you know traveled around this that and the other and then was uh, traveled around is extreme i joined the military and got injured and, and washed out and then i traveled around <laughs> <laughs> I, I did get to see some parts of the world that i would have otherwise not one of the highlights on that trip was a Waffle House outside of Atlanta. Oh, hey. You haven't lived, brother. Oh, I love Waffle House. I had one in Arkansas. And you have lived, brother. It was delicious and it was cheap. Yeah, I do remember being like 250, you know? For uh, I, yeah, when I got it, it was like $5 for that big, the big plate, the big meal or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, exactly. The smothered and covered plate. Ooh. Uh, so my last note on this movie is about its final shot and how awkward it is. Michelle Pfeiffer walking arm in arm with her friend and they're just talking and it's like overblown and they're walking down the hallway and then credits roll. Just a weird ending shot for me. It should have ended in the classroom with like everyone like welcoming her back and then it just keeps going after that. Yeah, I suppose she just like gets back to the business of teaching them and they're interested in the, the learning of it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I suppose it's a product of the time. It has to be, right? Because at this point in our lives, we would just te teach hip hop as poetry. There's no reason to avoid that. So like the whole Dylan Dylan thing seems like you're, there's a real high uh, bar that you got to clear to get people on board with this thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas, and the soundtrack demonstrates over and over again, there's incredible poets that these people want to listen to, that they are engaged with. Let's yes. deal with that. 
And I just, that sort of points at the, the whitewashing of this movie where it's like, yeah, we'll make it a little more comfortable for people. Well, well let's teach these black kids about this fucking white dude, Bob Dylan. I mean, he's one of the poet laureates. He's got some stuff to say. He actually does. Like, and they chose a couple of good moments, even though the tambourine man song part comes off as one of the more cheesy parts. Uh, just her being like, well, you know what tambourine man could be? <laughs> it's code name for a drug dealer. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't bother me so much. I mean, because no. it is, right? And those are it, facts. I mean, it could be. Well, yeah, I mean, fair enough. Maybe he's talking about, like Dylan specifically is talking about a literal tambourine man, given his love of folk music. The, I, you know what I did? I mapped it over to subterranean homesick blues. Mm. So when it's Johnny's in the basement talking about the government, who's the, the man in the coop, the man in the wants $11 bills and you only got 10? That's the one where I'm like, that's the drug dealer who's like, no, 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 motherfucker, we need more cash. Yeah, like uh, definitely, there's the tambourine man could be a drug dealer, like, and it if you break down the lyrics in a certain way, it could seem like that, but uh, it also could be Dylan just being like, hey, Mister Tambourine Man, play a song for me. I'm not sleepy, and there's no place I'm going. <laughs> and in the jingle jangle morning, I'll follow you all the way into the morning playing music. Yeah, it's the jingle jangle morning that sells the drugs for me. <laughs> the, the shakiness of the next morning yeah exactly where you're like buddy I, I get it. no i totally get it <laughs> so maybe yeah i'm going with the drug dealer actually on this one <laughs> okay, fair. fine i'll give it to you <laughs> <laughs> um i don't have a ton of other notes here i want to talk about a couple of the students in the classroom because um the i don't know if they're twins or just brothers um but they look like ODB to me with the grills and the short locks. I just like him only feeling ODB energy and I just don't want to. Hey, this was the era of ODB, man. And um, who is, let's see, Adina Harris as Callie? Uh-huh. She's really she's good. good. Yes. She's full stop good. The performance is excellent. Uh, she's now known as uh, Brooklyn Harris. Hmm. Yeah, no, I really like her. What else? She done anything else? Yeah, she was in Juice. She doesn't have a ton, man. A lot of TV. She hasn't worked since 2002. Hmm. No. She she was uh, flawless. I really liked her. Yeah, I really did too. I would have loved to have seen more from her. And Mm -hmm. I also get to this place where when I see really adept performances, especially by sort of outsiders, I don't blame them for just not doing Hollywood anymore because yeah, it's a terrible place, you know? So if you're not into it, make your money and bounce out, you know? And then the last, oh, no, I got one more, which is that the, the token white guy in this movie, <laughs> which is a delightful- Oh friend. yeah, that one guy sitting in the back. <laughs> Who is clearly doing Abby Hoffman. He's got the fro <laughs> and the America shirt. It's just like, can we squeeze- some I don't know dissidents into this movie and then just ignore that as well entirely um uh, I'm reading a review from Peter Travers who writes for Rolling Stone 
and he committed to the film also benefits from the sly touch of Elaine May, who collaborated with Ronald Bass, the screenwriter who also did Rain Man on this screen adaptation of Johnson's memoir. Uh, huh, I wonder why did Elaine May do what benefits from the sly touch of Elaine May, you know, who collaborated with Ronald Bass? The reputation that Carrie Fisher has had in the last 20 years is like go-to fixer. She's got her hands on everything and you don't know it. Elaine May really did that through the 80s and 90s. She uh-huh. just wrote, 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 wrote and fixed up a whole bunch of scripts. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all to learn that her fingerprints are on this thing. Hmm. Interesting. The only other note that I have is that uh, I don't think the teacher's starting salary has improved in the 25 years since this movie was made. Nope, that still sounds about what they make. 24K. <laughs> Real bummer. Yeah, totally. Oh, man. All right, well, that's Dangerous Minds. The Hell power yeah. and the money. Yeah.